0: This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm Amit Ghosh, an internal medicine physician at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. We are now facing one of the largest crises of our lifetime with this COVID-19. Almost everything that we had learned from has to be relearned. Joining me today is Dr. Christopher Rossi, and emergency medicine physician and chair of the Midwest Emergency Medicine Connected Care and Innovations. Thank you for joining us today, Chris.
1: Thanks for having
0: me. Even before the current crisis, you have been involved in the telehealth, setting up telehealth for emergency medicine for over two years. So um, it's not that we were getting ready for this crisis, but looks like having done it for two years, and looked at some of the, the complexities and complications and, and the logistics of it. What has been your experience of using telehealth in the ED in Mayo Clinic Rochester?
1: So the experience uh, has been extraordinary. Um, uh, the, the impetus for launching our program was primarily to support our rural partners in the Mayo Clinic Health System. And as we grow this part of our program, we'll be expanding up beyond Mayo Clinic with the idea that one we can bring resources and um, thinking to the bedside that might not um, be available at some of our rural small austere locations uh, and in an attempt to keep patients local when safely possible um, and to help our uh, partners offload their cognitive burden Um, you know in some of these rural locations it's often just a physician or an np or a pa and maybe one nurse Uh, And when critically ill patients arrive, helping them with a team approach has been uh, uh, important. And so that's why we developed this. But now as we have gone into this pandemic and the crisis uh, is looming, um, we feel that telehealth is uniquely positioned to help out in a myriad of ways. And uh, we're doing that not only in our health system practice, uh, but we've actually turned and are trying to offer uh, telehealth
0: solutions uh, right in our own academic emergency department in Rochester. So by telehealth, for most of us, we are familiar with telehealth, but what are the least things that you need for telehealth? You can you can have a system here in Mayor Rochester, but when you go out to the patient's level, or to the provider, or to a clinic elsewhere, or to the front road, you need to have the basic, a mobile unit, like a cell phone, or an iPad, or does it have to be something more fancy?
1: no it can be as simple as what you just described i think we're very fortunate here at mayo clinic Uh, so you know the telehealth program in emergency medicine wasn't built um, uh, from scratch Uh, mayo clinic partners with in touch health uh, the center for connected care had already put the infrastructure in place that we were able to jump onto so i think to what you're alluding to is you need um, uh, critical infrastructure pieces you need um, uh, good Uh, internet connection, you need some sort of software to allow for the communication to take place, and then you need hardware in place to allow to run that software, obviously, and then allow for that interaction. So yeah, you you can do this using a platform like Zoom, and I believe there's a HIPAA compliant version of Zoom, uh, if you did it from phone to phone. Um, We use InTouch Health, as I mentioned a second ago. And that provides a very nice user interface where we can drive cameras and see patients. Um, And so that's on a different level, Um, but it doesn't require a ton. If you needed to launch something urgently that uh, you could do this through uh,
0: phone to phone, either an iPhone, iOS, or an Android platform. So can you give me an example of the scope of how Mayo Emergency Department is using telehealth in, in managing COVID-19 cases from coming from our um, neighboring counties and health systems. So what are the different elements that you are being called to look at during this current crisis? Sure. So uh, a
1: few things. Uh, number one, our emergency medicine telehealth program has a strategic partnership with our Mayo Clinic Health System nurse line and uh, patients call this nurse line regularly with new symptoms, new questions, new concerns, and uh, that nurse line follows a prescriptive algorithm that sometimes end in, you know, just go to the emergency department for an evaluation. When they hit that point in their algorithm, they're calling us in the telehealth room and saying, does this make sense? Do you agree with the endpoint of this algorithm? And, can this person safely be kept at home or follow up with their primary care so um, we're doing that for the Mayo Clinic Health System nurse line we're also doing that now for the uh, COVID nurse line that was stood up for this pandemic and um, when, the, uh, when our partners are in, in infection prevention and control and ID are not available, we're fielding those calls and trying to determine if a patient needs to go to the emergency department urgently or can they go to a testing center to get tested or can they follow up with their family doc. So that's one. Um, that's a telephonic um, telehealth response. Second, um, across the health system as I described, we can come on by video and help our partners in our rural small critical access hospitals when they're faced with uh, critically ill patients. Um, And then third, on the academic campus, and this is new for us, um, as we are prepping for um, the incoming surge, and we plan for that, the main idea is that we could use telehealth to reduce uh, PPE use, right? This is critical, and we see this across the news. Uh, and then to uh, reduce healthcare worker exposure. So let me give you an example. Um, We're in the emergency department in Rochester, the academic campus, and say that we've got a known COVID patient in one of our rooms. After doing an initial physical exam in appropriate PPE, the remainder of some of these elements could be done virtually. Uh, If you consider how many times we go in and out of a room to check on a patient, to uh, field questions, um, uh, to check on their pain status, to check on their response to therapies, it's significant. And every single time you do that, you would have to don and doff PPE, which uses PPE and puts you at risk every time you don and doff, right? You can expose yourself if you don't do it well. So the, think, the thinking is, could we, and we're standing up right now, uh, devices, we're trying to get in every one of our rooms, but we're deploying a myriad of devices that can go into the patient's room sit in there, and then I, when I'm on staff in the emergency department, could remote in using my iPhone or at a workstation and have a conversation with the patient, saving PPE and cutting down on my potential
0: uh, repeat exposure. So these are critical patients who are coming and to the ED, so they're already sick. So um, how effective is the same system if the nurse, I know you're using a phone line, is there any video system where the nurse could be monitoring the patient in their home and getting an idea about the respiratory rate or dyspnea, getting a whole idea about the symptoms that the patient could be having and directing them appropriately to stay home or to go to the ED? Yeah,
1: that's an excellent question and I believe uh, through the Center for Connected Care there is a remote monitoring team uh, and I would think that'd be an excellent conversation for a future podcast I'm not involved with that work, but uh, I know they're monitoring patients at home uh, with vital sign monitoring. Uh, I believe patients that are known positive for COVID are being tracked, and uh, it would be good to reach out to them. But I do know those efforts are underway. Let me give you another quick example. So we talked about the critically ill patient in our emergency department. How about the ones that come in that are referred with mild symptoms and are either patients under investigation or are suspected for COVID? maybe those folks don't need an emergency department room. And so they could go into conceivably into one of our intake areas, be seen by a nurse and be seen by the physician remotely. Um, We do an exam through the virtual uh, system and then be able to discharge them out uh, um, after their appropriate testing and uh, for follow up by primary care if necessary. Again, this keeps people out of the emergency department if they don't have to be there. and again we just see this as an opportunity to cut down on ppe utilization and healthcare worker exposure
0: and this could be done as you said remotely at a remote location somewhere in rochester or somewhere else where yes. we have all these centers where we are directing our patients to go and do the testing is that where you would say or these are different setups apart from a testing center where these patients need to go or could be going
1: yeah, it could be going into a myriad of locations, the primary care follow up, re- rerouted to a testing center. One of the things that we're working on right now is partnering with our pre hospital colleagues. Um, and in the Rochester area, we have several um, uh, remote testing locations, the drive through locations. One of these, uh, we're looking to stand up a telehealth device. And if the healthcare workforce on the ground there that are doing the testing, are concerned about patient symptoms or patients look ill, we could potentially remote in, provide an emergency medicine evaluation at a distance and recommend if that person needs to come to the emergency department by ambulance, uh, or should they uh, come by vehicle, what have you. So again, it's it's adding an extra layer of eyes onto
0: patients and trying to get the right disposition at the right time. So I know we were doing you were doing telehealth with all the remote locations as you mentioned and these were as we understand going synchronous or asynchronous and can you explain the we hear all these different terms in telehealth and what what is the system being applied now for the covid 19 crisis yeah great question so uh, both synchronous
1: and asynchronous are being used um synchronous really refers to in the moment happening live uh the asynchronous consultations are what we would consider like an e-consultation so uh, you are in North Dakota and you have a question, uh, you email an infectious disease person, and sometime later you will get a response, right? That is asynchronous. Synchronous is live, either through a telephonic mechanism or through a video mechanism where we're seeing and talking to the patients in real time. So that's the distinction. So in emergency medicine, we're pretty much focused all on synchronous uh, uh, telehealth activities.
0: So. I want to go back to your room. This is what I call the war room where you suddenly get you get a call that you need to set up this kind of a a protocol for telehealth uh, in a hurry. Uh, You already had a system going on, it was very well, but now you're you might be overwhelmed with a lot more phone calls. So what kind of people did you have to gather around in your room to develop this protocol? And how long did it take for your team to come up with the protocol on? just for this COVID-19 pandemic crisis?
1: That's an interesting question. I mean, this is a highly dynamic space and it evolves literally every day. And so uh, our approach to this um, has, I'll say it's been chaotic and uh, we, we, we change every single day, but um, what we're planning for is standing up uh, some of our uh, physician staff to help out in, in a unique way. For example, let's say I had an exposure, I have symptoms but I'm well, I need to be quarantined, correct? So if I'm home and well, I can back up our current workforce and help with telehealth calls. And so we're building in a system where f- calls can overflow to a backup person uh, to help manage some of the incoming surge that we're anticipating, help with phone calls that we're receiving. Um, so This has been a reactive process. Uh, Again, uh, we don't know when the peak will hit. We have suggestions and I believe today, they just mentioned that, you know, the state of Minnesota in particular is doing a really great job of flattening the curve, Um, but this is not the time to let the foot off the accelerator, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. We need to continue to plan for this and plan for a surge. So, uh, you know, I wish I could tell you that this was a proactive approach, but, Every day we're just reacting to some of the more information and more data that presents itself and uh, trying to build this workforce around to help our search
0: so so you have this whole protocol as to right from how the flow should go on from the phone call to the nursing approaching you and and so that's the kind of a protocol which I was talking about, but you also talked about the physicians being quarantined and taking phone calls from home, so that's the kind of uh, adjustment you have to make in thinking and that's a very proactive approach because sooner or later some of us will be affected and this part of the protocol will be will be driven that we have to be taking these calls so that's that's a great thing now what did you what are the lessons you learned from um i know this was chaotic you never had time to think um things are pushed and rushed but what are the kind of lessons did we learn from this pandemic when it comes to setting up a telehealth system in ED, the emergency department, and what are the real blind spots which we never even thought about, which right now looking back, we we think that we should have looked maybe a year or two ahead and worked on it. I'll say that I think that
1: probably the biggest blind spot that is presented itself is utilization, right? So um, at this moment in our healthcare's history, this. in in my opinion, is the time where telehealth is going to demonstrate its value uh, across a myriad of service lines and a myriad of platforms. Um, However, up to this point, uh, the single greatest barrier to telehealth has actually been physicians, right? Um, uh, And and I think this is going to help with that pendulum shift. And it's going to be very interesting once this uh, crisis settles down how healthcare evolves into using the digital space, the telehealth space, uh, not just for emergencies but across the board. Um, I think Mayo Clinic for some time was working to stand up home visits, uh, you know, using things like the portal, uh, seeing patients uh, um, uh, virtually, and that has been ongoing. But I think this is going to push it and take it to the take it to the next level, um, and I think it's going to really force uh, what I see as the biggest barrier that is physicians not wanting to use it necessarily or not understanding how to use it into a new position
0: and, and it's gonna evolve how we, how we practice. And I'm seeing new curriculum coming up every time as to how to do a physical exam uh, through a telehealth and rather than the patient's hands becomes your hands and you kind of ask the patient to do the things where mm-hmm. it's hurting, pushing here, pushing there on the abdomen, palpating in okay. the neck. And do you have something to say? Have you used those technologies in the ED or in the field where you're looking at the patient and instructing them? And how, when you correlate it with actually seeing a patient physically, how, how close is the relationship between the two kinds of the virtual examination versus the uh, physical exam?
1: That's a great question. So uh, the no-touch physical exam is an interesting concept, right? Now I'm not suggesting that this is done in emergency medicine all the time, but we pride ourselves on walking into a unit and being able to look room to room and saying that person is very sick. I'm going to start there, and it's those physical elements, uh, the way the position the patients are holding themselves, presenting themselves, how they look, are guiding us more toward their acuity and their criticality. This is no different in using a a video approach. So um, tachypnea. Patients that are markedly tachypnic are likely very sick and I can zoom in on their breathing. I can zoom in on a monitor to check their respiratory rate. Um, We have other vital signs we can zoom in on but I can see accessory muscle use. I can see paradoxical abdominal breathing. I can see scalene retraction, intercostal retraction. Those things are a clue to me that the patient is working really, really hard. Um, To your point about using others to help me do the exam, if I am, for example, helping a nurse practitioner in a very small critical access hospital, uh, I might have him or her examine the abdomen for me while I watch the patient's response. That's going to clue me into a lot of different things. Um, The technology is great enough, especially on some of these cameras that we have, that we can zoom in on very fine details. So I can get a pupil exam. I can look at their sclera. I can get a good skin examination. I can see if they're diaphoretic. All these things are clues that will clue me into uh, their acuity and criticality.
0: And so I was thinking one of the limitations you were going to say that, uh, other than the physicians, you know, our own inertia accepting it was that the technology will take more time and it'll slow our practice. If I have a busy practice in the ED, I'll take more time if I use telehealth in seeing a patient. But what I'm hearing you say is maybe that's that's just a perception. In reality, once you get better at it and you do more at it, just like any procedure, this would be just like seeing a patient face-to-face. It shouldn't take more time than that. I would agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. I mean,
1: you can conceivably think that you could go from room to room or location to location in a very quick manner uh, and taking out the having to walk between spaces, um, uh, trying to find phone numbers and call different departments, et cetera. Um, so I think as we become more facile with the technology, I think it will actually improve and make things more efficient, but it takes us to get used to it. The tech is gonna be way ahead of of the human. And we're going we're gonna to have to evolve and adopt um, uh, as, as the practice
0: changes. I want to go back to something that you said, which was so important. I didn't even think about it, about the PPE use and monitoring, telemonitoring. Can you give some examples uh, in our ED as to where you use this telehealth so effectively that you could say that because of your procedure, you probably use three or four gowns per, per provider, less or something like that. Gloves, gowns, masks, all these will use less because of the telehealth technology. Apart from the safety for the physicians or for the nursing, I think the point you're making is very important. So I wanted to kind of have our audience hear more about it because that's one element which I don't think we emphasize enough. How... Telehealth in the ED location can save, can minimize the use of PPEs? Well,
1: let me give an example, a clinical example. So, uh, I did a pediatric shift and I had a young patient that had appendicitis. Now, he presented with fever, and in the era of COVID, anybody that's presenting to our emergency departments with fever is getting a mask put on, right? So, that remains part of the differential despite the other complaints, i.e., my, my tummy is hurting. And so after the initial examination, our concern is high for the possibility of appendicitis. However, this patient also has fever and had a cough and we worry about COVID. Um, Going in and out of the room multiple times for a re-exam requires me to don and doff multiple times. Same for the nurses. And so after we get some pain management for the patient, um, and we wanna recheck on that individual, We can do that through a video mechanism. How are you feeling? Is the pain medicine helping you? Um, uh, How do they look? If we wanna do a re-exam, I can have the kid get out of bed, jump up and down. Um, Things that will save us from having to go in and out of the room repeatedly. And I think what's important is, number one, that's saving gear, right? We don't have PPE burn. But second, if we're busy in the emergency department, which is often the case, we sometimes are moving quickly between patients, and I can think of I would suspect that when we get in a hurry, doffing our gear is going to put us at risk. If we don't go through the steps appropriately, take our time, uh, like for example, you know removing gloves and then slowly taking off your gown and then appropriately taking off the mask, you can expose yourself uh, if not contaminate yourself and so cutting down on those human factors, because we simply were able to talk to the patient through a virtual mechanism, makes sense to me. Uh, And so I think we're going to reduce exposure, and I know we're going to save PPE by doing this.
0: So my last question would be the question of fatigue. When you were doing it for the last two years, setting up a telehealth, well, it's a once in a while, a couple of times a day, maybe more. I don't know the exact statistics. Maybe you were getting a lot of phone calls. But nothing like this now. You are being bombarded by so many calls. How are we dealing with the fatigue? Or is there a factor of fatigue? You have to. Do you have to change the people taking this call every two hours, three hours? Give them time off. Avoid burnout. They're hearing such horrendous stories about tragedies, about battles lost, or near misses. How are we dealing with um, in the ED? How are we dealing with this issue? And that's really an excellent question. So right
1: now we we are, um, dare I say this, but it is the calm before the storm and globally across our Midwest practice, the emergency medicine volumes are down. I think patients are staying out and I worry that they're staying home because they're afraid to come to the hospital. That's my theory. And that makes me sad because I hope we're not missing some significant emergency that's not coming in. Um, But volumes to a degree are down. And um, I haven't heard any of our workforce that are doing the telehealth shifts uh, of burnout. Uh, I know we get a significant number of phone calls. Uh, they don't take a significant amount of time uh, to help the nurse line, the COVID line, um, answer those questions, um, but they are voluminous. Um, and so it's something that we definitely have to keep our eye on. Now, when the surge or the peak hits and we start doing this regularly, we're going to have to watch this very very closely if we're simply jumping room to room to room on a video to help patients that are critically ill if we're doing a substantial amount per hour we're going to make mistakes Uh, we are going to get tired Um, and yeah it's something that we're going to have to keep a real close eye on Um, because safety for the patient is paramount that's number one that's one of our number one missions but safety is linked to the provider's well-being, and if they're tired and fatigued, I mean, the, the airlines do this, right? You can't fly after a certain number of hours because of fatigue, because we know you're gonna make mistakes.
0: Um, we wanna watch that very closely. Thank you, uh, Dr. Russi, for all the excellent points you made. Uh, we have been talking about the telehealth use in emergency medicine. Thank you for your time, Chris. What we learned from you today is the challenges which we are looking forward to facing, and some of the hospitals up in the East Coast and West Coast are probably already seeing it on a daily basis. Where telehealth is here to stay, and and we will see innovations in telehealth going forwards with increased acceptance at all levels, at the ED levels, at the primary care level, at every specialty level. Given this crisis and this no-touch technique, which we have to adopt, you also brought up a very interesting point, uh, Chris, about less use, minimizing the use of PPE with telehealth. And we have currently so many monitoring devices. We were interviewing another cardiologist uh, last, uh, last week where we came to know about all these monitoring devices where your EKGs can be remotely monitored without somebody going in and taking EKGs and changing the PPE. So all these new technical devices is going to make telehealth monitoring easier and better. Thank you for giving us a snapshot. I know I would have liked to spend hours talking about how to set up um, this kind of a setup for the ED, but that i leave it to peacetime. But now given the time, I thank you very much. Uh, Any last thoughts from you, Chris?
1: I know I appreciate you having me on and discussing how we're approaching this. And and I hope that, you know, we have a lot to learn from everybody else, but I hope that uh, what we're doing, if it can serve as a model, or a framework for some other organization, then then fantastic.
0: Thank you very much. We will continue to bring you updates on the situation as the events unfold. If you have enjoyed the Mayo Clinic podcast, please subscribe, stay healthy, and see you back next week.